Mike, welcome to the show. I cannot believe, as long as I've been doing this show, that I have not um, had you on. So don't mess it up today. Hi. Uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> I think you're kind on. of like uh, unmess upable. I don't think anyone has ever or could ever possibly throw you off track. Um, if your first name is Rita and you have the same last name as me and you've been married to me almost 37 years, very easy to do. But um, okay. otherwise, it's pretty difficult. I'm, you know, I'm a big dude, so I've got a lot of ballast. It's hard to kind of knock me off of my feet. Um, and uh, I'm pretty obnoxious. So maybe. I don't know. We'll I see. Please don't do it too much today. Use that word. I would use the word nimble. Nimble. <laughs> nimble. Here's the thing. You kind of have I'm to not, be. I'm not that nimble, but I'm way more nimble than people expect. At my, you know, at my, it's like, the, it's like um, do you ever remember back in the day uh, – if you ever spend time out in data centers, in fact, I want to get to that in a minute, but we used to have these trikes that you could ride around on the floor in the big mega data centers to haul your IT gear. And we would have races with those things. And I wouldn't beat the fastest guys, but I beat way more people than they expected. They're like, how could somebody that big take a turn that fast? I'm telling you, skills, I, I, skills. It's total my skills. Resume. I used to play basketball with this guy in college and he was, he was probably 5'8", 250. But he could wow. he could drive. He could take it to the hole. He could drive by any of the quickest of us. He's just you know yeah. you see by watching someone walk. They're just light on their feet, even though they're a bigger guy, and they just yeah. they got skills. I don't know how to explain it. It's like it defies yeah. the imagination. Uh, uh well, um, thanks for coming on the show, Mike. I really appreciate it. We're gonna have a great conversation today. Uh, while the audience um is related to the industry, a lot of the audiences, not all of mm -hmm. it. Why don't we start, before I ask you about you, what is Data Center Hawk? What is that exactly? Yeah, so we've been called, uh, this helps, it gives people a picture. And I'm a huge, huge believer in like the value of like word picture and analogy. So right. uh, it takes people from what they know to what they don't uh, okay. in a, an Acts 17 sort of way. If you're familiar with that metaphor, I'll mm -hmm. get into it later. But yeah. uh, we so we'd be called the Zillow or the co-star of data center. So most people oh. are familiar with one of those two sites. So it's right. at its core, it's trying to understand where every data center is in the world. That's very headline view. Um, with the mission to help people make the best decisions in the data center real estate space. So what we're not is, um, you know, tracking things like data center cooling or some of the server technology um, or really the, the kind of the financial debt and equity ratios of these companies. That's, that's not our core. So it's right. where are they built? Who's building? Right. Who's, you know, where is leasing happening? Um, at what prices are those deals getting done? So right. everything people would need uh, to make the best decisions about their data center real estate. So we, uh, real quick, started in 2014. We can get into that in a minute. Um, mm -hmm. I joined the company in 2019, kind of started North America and has really attempted or and are attempting <laughs> to have a, a very comprehensive global view. How did you... How did you end up in this business? It seems, especially that, so we're already a niche industry and you're yeah. like a niche of the niche industry. We're a niche squared, yeah. Uh, I think probably <laughs> like a lot of people where uh, I kind of fell into it. Didn't really have a good understanding. I didn't know what data center was uh, until five mm -hmm. years ago. And mm -hmm. so I spent the first 15 years or so of my career in another industry that nobody really knew about. I was doing like pension plan administration. So you work for a company for 30 years, uh, right. you quit and they give you 1500 right. bucks a month until you die, yeah. right? 
Yeah. Real boring pension stuff. And every once in a while you'd run into someone and you'd, you'd say, you'd give them like this five second description of what you did. And they're like, Oh, I'm in pension too. And you'd be like, Oh yeah. You give them the kind of knowing <laughs> nod, which you get that a lot in the data center space too. Cause typically people would be like, Hey, you know, when you pull up your phone and look at Facebook and it's in the cloud, that's just a right. data center. And I, I help yeah. talk about data centers. And then you find, yeah. you give them like this, I think, for lack of a better term, a really dumbed down explanation. Yeah. And then someone's like, oh yeah, I, I work for QTS. They're like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And you kind of give them like, like you almost hug them. <laughs> yeah. You know what that reminds uh, me of? Do you, do you remember, uh, obviously, um, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, the MCU. Yeah. Before 2008, if you weren't in the comic book or maybe anime world, you didn't know anything about that. And so if you met, you know, if you started to talk to somebody about, uh, you know, whether it's a Marvel, Marvel, Marvel or DC or whatever, they just didn't, you know, you kind of give each other the nod if you bumped, you know, start to explain a character, you know, who Batman really was in DC or who Spider-Man really was and whatever. And that, that other person would kind of give you the look like, bro, I know. And you kind of like, it's the nerd look, you know, it's like the nerd yeah. salute, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, look, everybody all over the world, if you're in a small group, has some sort of symbol or nod or look or something. And then when Iron Man hit, everybody in the world thinks they know about, you know, uh, my kids uh, were all, all familiar with um, Marvel and DC and whatever. And they're almost frustrated now that people that didn't grow up in it, they just know it through the movies. Or it's like knowing the Lord of the Rings, but only through the movies, not the books right. or any of the lore or any of the other stuff. Like, oh, yeah, 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 that elf guy, I know all about him. And didn't he fly the eagle and they threw the, the ring in the pool or something? Or, you know, like, no. So I love it that you would meet pension people and give them sort of the, like, yeah. super nerd it's pension like a, nod. Yeah, you start mentioning, like, PPA or COLA or CPI or, you know, <laughs> joint survivor annuities. It's like a shibboleth. And they just kind of go, okay, now we know. <laughs> Uh, Whereas everybody else is like, I don't know, it just happened, but uh, stay out of my PPI and I need to go talk to somebody else because this doesn't sound very interesting. A hundred percent. So I did that for, like I said, probably 15 years and I was I was working here in Dallas and uh, I knew David Liggett, the founder of Data Center Hawk. I actually knew his brother okay. first. Uh, okay. I had done his brother worked at our church and I volunteered with some stuff he was doing. So I knew uh -huh. Jeffrey. And I kind of knew of David. I knew who he was, but I, I didn't know him at all. Right. And we went on this like family family camping trips, probably 25 families. Uh, wow. All went up to Oklahoma and we did this this big family camp. And I kind of, I think I knew David worked, I think I thought he worked for CBRE because him and a buddy of mine had worked together way before. I didn't know he had started Dana Starhawk again. I'm right. totally ignorant. Right. So I just assumed he was like, you know, kind of normal, normal dude, mid thirties, whatever. Right. And then we go to this family camp. And what I didn't realize was David worked at a, a sports camp for kids when he got out of college. Yeah. So I remember him telling me that, which was some of the funniest stories ever was uh, he wouldn't give me the full details because I, I think it was a uh, wasn't a, it, it was like a Christian sports camp. Maybe it was just a sports yep. camp. I don't remember. But it was so yeah, funny. Christian sports and, camp. Yeah. And he was like, look, I could I could tell you some things, but I, I don't want to be on the public record. It was so funny because he's such a nice guy. And he's so, uh, uh, you know, you're like, you don't really have any kind of crazy stories, do you? And he just kind of gives you like the pension nod, like maybe, yeah, maybe he, I do, maybe I don't. <laughs> and that's that's a whole other subculture. Of, again, especially in Dallas and Texas, there's just a lot of people right. that either used to work there, people that know David or their kids have gone there now. Right. Anyway, so we had this family camp and, and David was part of one of the skits 
And so I saw this like wildly silly uh, and like really outgoing side of him. That was kind of data point one. And then we ended up getting to know each other at that camp. Fast forward a year or so later, he, him and I were working out at the same gym and, and we said, Hey, we would just chit chat after class, before right. class, whatever, just make, make it chit chat. And he was telling me about data center Hawk and what he was doing at the time. It was six people uh, right. was the company that he had started. And he said, and I was just, again, not thinking anything of it. It was like, Hey, here's what I'm doing. But you know, I'd really like to do something different. It wasn't right. super fulfilling to me at the time. And he said, Hey, why don't you come join me? And actually he would credit his wife, Leanne, they were out to dinner one night. And he was like talking about you know, it's just challenges of running a small business. Right. And I came in with my family and we sat down and Leanne looked over at him and was like, why don't you hire Mike? And the rest is kind of history. Uh, he hired, he brought me in and for the first, you know, six months, it's just from a fire hose. And all right. I was trying to do was like parrot what David said. Uh, right. And then, you know, over time kind of learned, I'd never done sales before. Didn't know what a data center was. Uh, and so just jumped in, but, but, beside uh despite all that uh mm -hmm. going from place you know my old company my old bosses were fine we got along fine but mm -hmm. um we didn't share uh like any real deep connection and so when i came right. work with david is like we became very good friends very quickly we had a very similar worldview, kind of same life stage our kids played sports together right and as as rewarding as it's been if i had been at this company with somebody not david it would still be a great experience, like getting to see the growth of the space, getting to learn how to do sales, um, right. meeting the people I've met would be great. But have, doing it all with him and being in that camaraderie together, that's been uh, you know infinitely more rewarding. So, yeah, that's the the shortish story uh, version of how I got here. <laughs> when you get to do life with people that um, you're so very similar with, whether it is in this case technology or in my case, or you sounds like your case as well, things of faith, where you have um, you have a philosophical outlook that are that's very similar. So it's it it just adds. It's like adding not too much, but extra ingredients, extra nuance to the thing that you already love to do. I love to serve people. I love to be helpful. I love to be in community. And then when my job. Which is hard sometimes. I got to believe there at uh, Data Center Hawk, there are times where you're scratching your head, like, look, I'm in charge of sales, or we got to figure out now that we've sold this, how are we going to deliver this, or our tools are changing. You know, we're in the middle of digital infrastructure explosion that the world, probably since Rome, has never seen. Like, it is, it is at least industrial revolution type, and, and even greater, really. Mm -hmm. And so you got to manage a business through that, but it just makes it so much better when you're a band of brothers and sisters that have these, these interlocking connections so that you can do the hard stuff together and enjoy the rewards of it together. A hundred percent. And it has, there've been some, some tough times. Again, we, like I said, we've grown from six to 20 people. We've added new products and, <clears throat> and grown, grown, you kind of what we're offering and had hard conversations with each other, with our employees, with our uh, customers, but, but mm -hmm. you're exactly right. Like kind of knowing at the end of the day, what, whatever else happens here, uh, it's almost like being in a committed marriage of where you go. It's is when there's the shared commitment, you go, Hey, I don't, regardless of how bad it gets, we will never, you know, separate. Uh, I'm right. not saying I'm never going to leave Dave Center Rock and he's never going to leave, right. but, or he's never going to fire right. me, but, uh, there is a shared commitment and a kind of belief together that that is goes a little bit deeper than employee employer. Uh, yeah. And it's made, like I said, the last four and a half years intensely rewarding. And and 
on top of that, you know, it's like, you know, they say the best time to plant an oak tree is 25 years ago. The second best time is today. <laughs> That's so right. I think, you know, about the data center space, like the best time to join the space would have been five years ago. Probably people have been saying that for 10 right. years. And the right. second best time to join it is today where, you know, since 2019, we've seen basically the industry double or more than double, depending on which metric you pick. Uh, right. And it's been, I feel extremely lucky. Uh, you know, they say better to be lucky than good, but right. I feel extremely lucky uh, to be, to have joined it when I did and go, man, this is like a, a tidal wave, you know, to your right. point. And for you, having been in it for 18 years or longer, yeah. I think that's just your yeah. QTS experience of like, yeah. you know, those first 10 years maybe maybe felt a little a little yeah. dry yeah. <laughs> but now now we're seeing this massive rapid you know rise of the space and, and obviously qts has been a huge part of that and the success that they've had it's been i am sure it is extremely rewarding for a guy like you who has even helped architect some of that uh yeah. that 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 surge it is um not every moment is a rewarding moment but overwhelming the relationships, not just in my organization, but in our industry. We're not a big industry, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. We certainly are a tiny industry considering the impact that we have to the modern economy. Um, but what's interesting, Mike, and what you were saying there, like if that first 10 years didn't feel dry. Like there was 50 of us with a 300,000 square foot, mostly empty data center where our CEO rolls in from a bus from Kansas City trying to figure out how to do it. And our original, so he, still our CEO, Chad, knew a little bit about data centers, but just sort of what he could read on the bus ride from Kansas to here, just knew he wanted to be in it. And then we had operational experience in um, our original president and uh, sales and CTO leader. They, they were with a data center out of Omaha, Nebraska, and they came together and super entrepreneurial, very sort of um, the best version of kind of uh, Americana. And the rest of us, man, they just came in like a like a force of nature and, and they still are. Some of them are still in the industry, some not. Chad obviously is still here. And in that moment, the malaise was before that because we had come out of the dot-com bust and it was telecom primarily and IT reselling. And these guys were just data center guys and co-location, right? It was not what it is today. But in that moment, it's kind of like if you're learning to discover and you just made a boat that has a keel so you can sail offshore. Before that, you could only do lakes and rivers. And now you can sail offshore. Even if you're just sailing to an island that you can kind of see on the horizon and it's only four miles or 10 miles away, if you've never sailed across the bay or open water before, it's a crazy adventure, right? It's, um, and so it was a crazy adventure at the time. And as we've gone from that, all funded by the Williams family and the banks that they were connected with, you know, 10 million bucks, 20 million bucks, whatever it was, it was by, by standards today, it was very modest, but at the time it was all in. Um, and then the next, our first PE group, and then being getting uh, General Atlantic, each of those little two or three year eras were their own excitement and chaos and thrill and then going public in 2013 and the ramp up to that. And then just different versions along the way and then going private in uh, 21 with uh, Blackstone. And so, yes, it's unprecedented, but I could tell you every three to five years, it was unprecedented. And that three to five years, I mean, we've given up now. We're like, whatever, you know, I, I don't even, it's not that blase, but it's like, how else we kept thinking we were on, and now it's a hockey stick. 
till we got to the next hockey stick and we realized we were kind of flat. I remember me and a buddy of mine who's over at CBRE, Tim Huffman, when I was first in SE in 2007 or 2008, something like that. We got one of the um, industry brokers called us up and said, hey, look, I need you know, 250 KW worth of space and it's got to be metered power. We didn't know what metered power was. We didn't know what, how they were talking about, like none of those things. And we just sort of faked it those first few years trying to figure it out. And it was just the time of our life. And so I feel like now, to your point, plant the oak tree either 25 years ago or today, like data center industry, I'm so bullish on it because unless you're a surgeon or you're a researcher in some area to cure a disease, Digital infrastructure, you cannot have a modern economy, I've said this a million times, without digital infrastructure. You gotta have power, you gotta have digital infrastructure. And at least half of the world, maybe more, is still at or just above poverty. And so we get mm -hmm. to be part of, in the most positive way to think about it, building the digital infrastructure to um, help the world pull itself out of uh, poverty and have a better future. We miss sometimes, you know, the industry and human beings being human beings, but it's, uh, I get to be part of it. Whether you're real estate or legal or you're a porter or you're security or you're an engineer or anything in between, it's it's a great place to be and it's a great time. And I, I you know, who knows, the, the way that we generate and consume data and use data, I'm sure we'll get into some of the AI conversation later, like we're, Three years from now, we're going to say you and I on our next conversation, you know, or one of our future conversations, we'll be like, and we thought that was a hockey stick back in 2023 yeah. when the world was exploding. Yes, that's, so. you know, to the oak tree conversation, right? You are kind of the oak tree planted 25 years ago. There's a lot of oak trees being planted right now. Uh, and a lot of people who are going, data centers, I want to plant my oak tree in that industry. You know, right. we were at a conference earlier this week, and it was a, it was a not- data center specific investor, but just a, a, a fun guy, <clears throat> F-U-N-D. He was actually a F-U-N guy too, but he also was a fund guy. <laughs> and he's like, I've been going to a lot of these conferences for other commercial you know, real estate sectors. And he goes, man, it's a lot of doom and gloom, but not here. He's like, everybody's having a party here. And I'll tell you, every single person I talked to, to a man was like, I'm as busy as I've ever been. Uh, yeah. And and there's, there's a lot of winners in the space. It's fun. Uh, right. I don't know how, if that's like, maybe long-term healthy. <laughs> there right. probably should be losers in every industry, right. but uh, it's 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 really interesting time. And to, to the point you were making earlier, like, yeah, this is hockey. He's like, I do wonder when we look back 2023 with the lens of history to go, what do we not know now that will be very clear in maybe even a year or two? Uh, sure. Is it another new, yet yet another new technology that we, some, some scions will see coming, uh, will right. be... What, what, what will it be? And that's one of the most exciting parts of being in this space is you go, there's a lot of optimism. And I I think you probably feel the same way as I do is in a year or two, there'll be a new technology. It's not like we're the horse and carriage guys, like looking at the automobile going, oh, that makes me nervous. We get to facilitate um, an economic experience. Now, the things that we build, like all things that are built, can be manipulated uh, not for human flourishing, but to control or corrupt human beings, um, whether that's by individuals or companies or nations or whatever. And so, and that maybe, I don't know whether we get into that later or not, but it's, we get to be part of the creative process. 
right? And mm-hmm. so that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about I get to help be part of, in some way, the evangelism of this is an industry worth doing because of how the potential of it to benefit human beings. And so you should come and do it, not just for um, not just for your own salvation, not just for your own personal good, but look, human beings, we, can, we, we sometimes um, take tools that are meant for good and we can manipulate them for not good. I just watched uh, Oppenheimer and without getting too much into that, right, that energy and those technologies that they developed can be used for and are used for human flourishing and they can be used for destruction. And so wouldn't you want to be part of something to guide the ethic, to guide mm-hmm. the diversity, to guide the responsibility around sustainability, like in, in all of the community involvement, in all of these areas, come help human beings flourish, but help guide the industry by being part of it so that we get the best version of it that we're capable, instead of ceding it to interests that may not have that. And so um, I think for all of those reasons, it's a great thing to be part of. Yeah, I agree. It's like the, uh, was it Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the arena speech? Like, we, you want to be there. You want to be in the room, you know, when the decisions are being made. It's, I think that's maybe a separate metaphor, but, or uh, Hamilton, I want to be in the room right. where it happened. Uh, yeah. And so we want to be a part of it. You know, we see this massive, like you mentioned, it's it's on the scale of an industrial revolution, um, types of changes that are happening. And uh, maybe a more apt metaphor is we're the road builders. Uh, right. And we don't care if there's horses driving on the road or there's cars driving the road or autonomous cars or hover cars. Right. or, But we're going to try and make the very best roads we can. And we're going to utilize technology to make these roads excellent. Uh, and in this metaphor, data center hawks probably helping draw the map or not draw the map, but uh, help people understand where the best place to build the roads would be. Right. Uh, and and you all are innovating and uh, trying to serve this new industry, this new technology as best you can, um, yeah. even though we don't maybe probably fully understand what exactly it is uh, right. or where it may go. Uh, right. I think we're both talking specifically about AI, but it could be any number of technological innovations that we go. We probably see some of the raw demand and raw need. I don't know how deeply you understand like truly what what is going on at the bits and bytes level. I don't think I do mm-hmm. fully, um, mm-hmm. but you're starting to see that emerge, like some of the application of it and the adoption uh certainly the investment where we go well we should definitely figure out how we can do the very best job to serve both our current customers who are serving at kind of third uh tier and then those companies directly as they go hey we in order to do our job well we need the digital infrastructure uh and so the opportunity uh i don't know if, if you've talked about this on your pod like just trying to quantify what does this mean for the space um I think we're very, very bullish, uh, even with, I think, some very conservative uh, estimates uh, as what this could look like for the space. And it comes at a very odd time, as obviously we're already extremely supply trained, uh, supply right. constrained. You know, right. most major markets are two, three, four percent vacancy rate and dropping. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that space that does exist is probably onesie, twosie. Um, right. And so on top of, you know, what we came into 2023 with, you just drop this, uh, you know, a bomb of, of demand on top of the space. It's like, it's pushing a lot of creativity, uh, both in the design, in the location, uh, in, uh, the construction of all these facilities. So, and, and it doesn't seem like it's going to let up anytime soon based on everything, yeah. you know, kind of, we look into the future and forecast 
it's kind of here to stay. And and some of those challenges are here to stay too. You just can't create power out of thin air. You can't create right. land out of thin air, right? Conservation of energy, conservation of mass. Right. So we're, we're dealing with some very old, some would say eternal uh, right. principles of physical reality that, uh, that cannot be bent. Yeah. <laughs> as hard as as hard as some in our industry may try. Our demand, our need to c consume, which by extension create content. It's not slowing down. It's just getting exponentially mm -hmm. more and more 1080p to 4K to 8K to fill in the blank. I, I was going to the doctor the other day, and they were pulling up images that they have on record from a few years ago. And they're able now to pull AI up and look at some MRIs in the past. And not only doing a better evaluation on five-year-old, if not eight-year-old pictures, they can then, with my permission, compare them to other pictures of people in my demographic globally and help formulate a plan. And we're the infancy of this kind of stuff. Like mm -hmm. it's just, I, I just, it's hard to imagine um, in the in the relative near future, 50 to 75 years, that, that, that some or all of these components are not gonna just be Exploding. I don't know that they'll explode equally everywhere. We're running into a significant roadblock in what would they call middle mile fiber. Um, mm -hmm. So not fiber from the data center to the carrier hotel or things like that, but from Little Rock to Birmingham or or whatever. But we'll see. I I'm you know we could talk about this all of this all the time because I'm so excited about it. But it is um, you know I think it's a great business to be part of directly or indirectly. And, and unless somebody can cure a disease or, uh, you know, can be a great statesman, they should come and be part of this world in some way. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny. I think when I joined the industry, there was a stat that was thrown around a lot that I think that I, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it was an <clears throat> IBM study said from, from, from the study was done, I think in 2016 or 2018, I'll get it. It doesn't matter. We all know it. It says the, the amount of data that was created in the last two years or the, the, the amount of data, total information stored in the world mm -hmm. has doubled in the last two years. Yeah. So if you look at it from like creation to 2016, this is the amount right. of information, 2016, 2018 doubled. And I think it doubled again from 18 to 20. So to yeah. your point of like, we're getting more and more information. And, and you know, we, we had a conversation with a guy recently that they're doing monitoring of the energy systems around a data center. And, mm -hmm. It's like every five seconds they they sample the energy that's being used. So that's obviously creating a ton of data. Mm -hmm. um, and to your point, there's just massive amounts. You can self-driving car that they generate however many terabytes of data every half an hour. Right. And yet there's things like you mentioned, like a, a MRI scan where we have relatively little information. If you look at the amount of information that you're your body contains all the different instructions, the cells, this is a total rabbit hole and tangent. Right. We might edit this out, but I'm going to go there anyways. <laughs> That we don't we don't truly know if you were able to capture all the information that your body processes on a given daily basis how much would that enable you to make really good decisions so this power guy it's like if you monitor your power usage every hour or every six hours you get a certain amount of information you make make decisions based on that if you monitor every five seconds you make the decisions more quickly it's kind of like the high frequency trading computers right? right if you check the stock price in your newspaper in the morning you go well i think i'll make that trade send an email to my broker and make the trade you'll have one result. If you have a quantum computer that's monitoring the stock price to the millionth of a second and executing trades on it, you'd make a very different decision. Right. Uh, all that to say, <laughs> when we're able to kind of 
I think there's a lot of energy around just harnessing a lot of information. So from the power right. side, like how can we be more efficient with that? Like understanding different power sources and how power is lost or stranded or left unused. As we continue to drill down to that, you know, efficiency has to be the name of the game going forward. Because to your point, you can only generate so much. We're, we all think understand what the demand is going to be. Like, for example, I think, I don't know if the data center will double in the next two years, but there's markets like, you know, your Atlanta, our Dallas, that have just about doubled, you know, from a commission power standpoint in the last 18 to 24 months. Right. And, you know, kind of getting back to uh, the what we're looking at is is some of those other markets. Like you look at a Portland, which went from a you know 40 to 50 megawatt data center four years ago to now a 300 plus megawatt data center or a data center market. Right. There will be others like that to, to right. permit me a, a another analogy like. You ever go on YouTube shorts and every once in a while, it's like they'll have like a, a hydraulic press and they'll just put random things in there. Like they'll put a, a candle in there and then they'll put a a, a bowling ball or whatever. Yeah. And I think they have little holes to kind of have it, but they'll press and press and press and press and press. And all of a sudden, like little shreds of a bowling ball will come flying out the little release valve. Right. That's kind of how I feel about the data center. And, and Northern Virginia is in the middle of a hydraulic press right now, which one side is demand. The other side is supply and as it crushes and crushes it's we're already seeing this kind of splay out and you know south columbus pennsylvania carolinas atlanta uh again right. i keep pointing at you when i say atlanta because you're yeah. in atlanta i'm sure yeah. people know that uh that we'll continue to see and that's going to happen in dallas it's going to happen in phoenix it's going to happen internationally and there'll be these these pressure you know singapore pressure right. you know spilling over in these other markets so it's a, it's going, I think, again, we're so bullish and you see the demand, you've doc documented it, you've talked about it, that there will be uh, new markets, new opportunities that continue to to um, arise for groups like, again, QTS, who's keeping a very close eye on where can we be next to help serve our customers, to help capitalize on some of the demand that's happening, you know, right. today and over the next three to five years. It's a wonderful thing. I, I do have, I want to ask you one quick question. You reminded me of this earlier. I was just having a, a conversation with somebody the other day. It's not been published yet. And he said he called Atlanta a tier two market. And I was like, come on, bro. You can't you can't call us a tier two anymore. And uh, we had a fun debate about that. But it just got me thinking about do you guys over there in your org think about do you still do we still clump um, markets like that tier one, tier two, tier three? And if so, um, what do you think would be the uh, what's what's the division between this is a this market and this is a that market in NFL it used to be or in advertising I suppose it was you know the eyeballs the eyeballs within a mm -hmm. whatever do you guys think about it like that at all and if so how do you measure or determine what's a one or a two or a three yeah so this, some of the historical context is like when we launched the platform again, or when David launched it back in 2014, 2015, we went out with 10 markets, which at mm -hmm. the time he believed were the most important 10 markets in North America. Sure. Um, and it included, I should know the list off the top of my head, but it included markets like New York and Seattle, which at the time probably were, um, or, or they were the, you know, very important markets, probably more primarily from a connectivity standpoint. Um, but to answer your question directly, we, certainly not on our website. We don't tear things out. Um, mm. 
we do have a de we have a dealing, uh, distinction in our back end system, primary and secondary. But even that has has sort of fallen apart because, for example, Portland's not considered a primary, at least not the way we designated it. Now we would probably mm -hmm. consider it one now. Mm -hmm. um, the most I would say the most important uh, the most important usage or the most frequent usage of that term would be, you know, a lot of times you're talking to like a broker or a provider and or maybe even an investor and they're going, you know, we're looking at uh, this requirement. I got a I got a five megawatt requirement um, with these characteristics and, you know, it needs to be in a tier one city. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not that generic, but it's right. just a way to quickly tell somebody that, you know, it's it's top six type market. Right. Um, which we would put Atlanta in, I think, kind of Nova, right. Chicago, Dallas, Phoenix, Northern California, Atlanta, um, yeah. just from like a, a tier one. If you had put a gun to my head, yes, I would call it tier one. Although, you know, two, three years ago, you were kind of like, are they going to make it? You know, it's like the swingers. He's he's a good yeah. guy you're pulling for. Not really sure yeah. if he's going to pull it off. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it has. It's, and, and honestly, Dallas would be in that same category. It's like. It was, we probably called, I'm, I'm sure we called it tier one. Again, it has all the right characteristics to be tier one. But up until a couple of years ago, it's like, what's up, Dallas? Yeah. It has all the ingredients, um, right. but couldn't couldn't make the cake. But right. but to your point, what we would look at would be like, um, you know, kind of, we did try and build this algorithm. We tried to build this like market score algorithm so we could go, people could come on the site, look at a list of 50 markets, and we would have like a, a score. I think similar to like a, um, like auto trader they have like mm. a deal score or like mm -hmm. a, a value score we wanted to give one number for every market and it was looking at things like you know obviously the market size uh you know historical absorption leasing cost velocity of power, things like that. cost of power the, right. the cost of land the number right. of operators the diversity of competition uh right. hyperscale activity so if you look at that market you know it's interesting like london you know i think it's two or three depending on again your measurement but very little hyperscale self-built in London. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas like uh, obviously Northern Virginia is almost 50-50 at this point and other big markets in North America are like 80%, 70 to 80% colo, 20 to 30% hyperscale just from a built capacity. Right. So we, we did that whole thing and it never really came to fruition, but we had a thought process, but it would include all of those things. Um, and then looking forward as far as like, you know, um, yeah, like you said, ability to procure power ability to procure land so th things that certain markets like northern virginia get kind of dinged on portland mm -hmm. you know having a tough time with the power versus mm -hmm. uh phoenix or columbus or atlanta that those future pathways are a little easier so yeah stay tuned we may we may revisit that concept um but the short answer is that's how we would think about it we don't really go tier two tier three we've had this primary secondary concept for a while um but we, we've we've almost kind of pushed away from it because the way markets kind of move up and down, like again, New York depends on who you're talking to, very important market or not very important. Um, right. You know, Salt Lake City, same thing, very important or not very important. So kind of right. depends on audience. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I just felt it very hard to um, predict. And it, it feels like almost you have to... Uh, in our industry, remove Silicon Valley and um, Northern Virginia, at, at least the, the the greater Ashburn area from the discussion because they uh, less so Silicon Valley now, but for the longest time they so broke the model. Like they were the mm -hmm. they were an outlier that you sort of had the this elite 
because of these reasons. And then you have the rest of the group that are jockeying for position. And now it's just is so, uh, you know, Richmond, not really on anybody's radar. We bought our site down there, um, our CEO, because it was such an amazing, you know, a billion dollar site for 12 million bucks. I think he bought it for. And um, it would have performed over time. We would have performed a 100 megawatt, um, uh, well, 50 megawatt in a 2N configuration and, you know, inexpensive and all these other things. But it was Richmond with modest connectivity. Then they land the sea cable in Virginia Beach and all of a sudden completely changed the narrative around that market. It wasn't just an economic driver. All of the connectivity that came in. Uh, Hillsboro, same kind of idea. And so as the um, as these things evolve and change, new te- whether it's new sea cables or new technologies come on that allow us to connect access to infrastructure, which is really big in our world about access to um, the grid in a reliable, you know, base load and reliable, sustained way, all, the, all those economic factors. And then a community that wants you, not all communities, may, and that changes sometimes, you know, a community mm-hmm. over time, their relationship with their local business, not just our industry, but all industry can ebb and flow depending upon um, things beyond our control. So anyway, I just thought that was, uh, I could see in the colo world why the tier system uh, was a way in absence of no way to evaluate. But it seems like in today's era, there's too many sort of wherever you strike gold, like that's where the, you know, that's where the rush is, wherever you strike gold, go there. I think there is opportunity. I believe there is opportunity I, uh, that there's places we've never heard of. Uh, again, we're trying to help people figure out what those are with the right. best we can. But there's always going to be some entrepreneurial to your point about mining, some kind of prospector, you know, yeah. uh, Gus Chiggins type of uh, people out there that are going to go find those those land deals and they're going to execute on them. And before you know it, there's going to be a gigawatt of data center there. Uh, yeah. and, and it will probably surprise us where some of those places are. I'm curious, as you and I talked in the beginning of the conversation about the pressure on the industry as it explodes in growth again, do, do the old paradigms still stand stay um, at the forefront, or are they changing? It seems like, from where we're sitting, some of the I would say some of the key, key influencers of what problem you described was that three four years ago, it seemed like a lot of groups were trying to guess where the hyperscalers were going to be, and buy land there was somewhat taken for granted how you would be able to acquire land you would be able Mm -hmm. to get the power there if you were if you were able to execute on a lease with one of these groups you'd be able to 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 build the building and and you know service that customer right um now it's almost flipped where a lot of people we talk to say oh the hyperscalers are are far more open than they were the big biggest customers in the space are are way more willing to talk to us about where they want to be than they were three four five years ago so that mm-hmm. dynamic has changed. So it's not a guessing game necessarily from a location standpoint mm-hmm. uh, as much. Um, but now the the challenges with getting the land and the power to service those customers is is much more challenging. And so mm-hmm. there's been, there's a little bit of a change there. Now I still think there is um, those groups are still. I mean, you look at their footprint across North America and the world; they still exist in some. I'll call them odd markets, right? Council mm-hmm. Bluffs, Tulsa, uh, Bordeman, Oregon, uh, Col- well, Columbus, not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some markets that 
I think there's still a belief that one of these groups is going to say, we want to be here, um, you know, Helena, Montana. And so mm -hmm. if we can just get land there today, uh, when those groups come to town, we'll be ready. Um, now, I don't think that, I don't see that being pursued in mass, but it's mm -hmm. probably still a little bit of a belief in the industry that we, if we could just crack that code um, and do it in a way where in a market that we feel like we can acquire the land and the power, then we'll have success. Mm -hmm. um, whereas more, what it seems like is the hardest part today is really people generally know where those large users are and want to be. Um, mm -hmm. And so the challenge is to go figure out where can I get land and power in those markets. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we always say, you know, you, got, you need land power and connectivity. Well, connectivity is the easiest one to solve because um, mm -hmm. there's, as far as I know, no real shortage of fiber optic cables. You can still go out and buy them. <laughs> now there's mm -hmm. probably general supply chain issues with those, but right. uh, you can get those a lot quicker than you can get the other two. Yeah. And so that's where we kind of see, you know, and most it's the, the focus has shifted from uh, if I build this site, will I be able to lease it to backing up the chain three or four steps to where do I get the land and power? And, you know, just from the, the groups we're talking to, it seems like I just kind of like make a mental log of like who is coming to us for information. Mm -hmm. And more and more, it's the the guys that are going to find the land and can improve it. So it's a lot of industrial groups that go, hey, we can, we know we have the expertise in this market. We can improve the land. We have that expertise. And so if we can do that, then we can turn that over to a data center operator. And then you know, we can make our money. They can make their money. Um, but it is, mm -hmm. it's these interesting shifts that are going on. And uh, I'm sure there's markets that none of us are thinking of that are going to be big data center markets, 500 megawatt, a gigawatt, who knows? Uh, right. in, in 10 years, uh, we're trying, we say this is, we provide the ingredients, you bake the cake. Right. Uh, what we're as tempting as it is, we're trying hard not to go. It's going to be there or there. We're just saying like, right. Give you the very best view of the market. We can and let you all again, QTS obviously right. and others go with that information. Plus our own, you know, special in our secret ingredient, <laughs> right. uh, Make the, make the most delicious uh, data center cake we can that our customers want to eat. My guess is there's an arms race to capture um, a, a certain AI performance footprint or whatever it is, their footprint that they're trying. So they, they need capacity. They need diverse capacity across continents and um, uh, nation states and whatever. And wherever they can land, where they can have a size and a performance and access to growth, which usually means utility, um, they'll figure out how to get talent and connectivity and other things there, whereas before that was for sure one of the forefronts. Again, it always ha all has to land within a certain economic model. But mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not that the things, to your point about the ingredients, it's not so much that the ingredients are different. It's more what they're getting first and what the gaps could be, they'll go find something else on the market to get those ingredients if I don't have them and bring them to the discussion. Whereas before, well, they probably always do still start with bacon. I mean, why would you start with bacon every time you go to cook something? But other good than point. that. That's good point. <laughs> yeah. What's the bacon of this space? You yeah. know, a couple, a couple years ago, there was like a, I don't remember how it all started. If it was like a rogue news story or just a tweet or an X or whatever, it was a tweet then. Uh, mm. about like a, a gas shortage in Dallas. Now, there was no gas shortage, but something took root in the news cycle 
that there was a gas shortage. And so everybody, you know, there was like, I think I got lucky again, better to be lucky than good. And then I had you know, three quarters of a tank or whatever, but there was a line around the block at the gas station by my house and everyone just lost their mind. And it was this, this kind of panic crash uh, right. that we've seen throughout history. And that's kind of what felt like happened in the last year where kind of Facebook went on this buying spree last year and everyone else was like, oh crap, we need, we need to get our hands on as much capacity as we can immediately, even if it wasn't tied to a specific requirement. That I think right. was a departure. Uh, right. And so you saw this huge like land grab um, or power grab uh, that we're still feeling the effects of um, right. the reverberations. And I think those will get, whether that caused or just accelerated where we are today, it is where we are today with the land and power shortage. So, and maybe that was just an inevitability and, and, and Facebook just kind of kicked everyone off the cliff, not to put mm. them under the bus or anything. Right. Again, that's not to besmirch Facebook. They were just, they were acting in their, they were right. you know, securing power for their requirements. And the fact that it happened to happen at a bit of an inflection point in the space where it's, it groups that had maybe taken for granted that they would always have plenty of suppliers um, for their needs for the next five to 10 years, maybe started to think, oh, if we don't act quickly, maybe there won't be enough. And right. and it kind of caused this crunch that I think we're right. still in. We, we, we believe we'll be in for the next two to three years. I just think that it's human nature that the more we use, the more we want, the more we want, the more we make, the more we make, the more we use. And it's, I've said this a million times on my show. It's just this, it's this thing. We do it. And it drives our industry. I mean, whether mm -hmm. we should, um, we do. And it is. Uh, but I also think kind of point to the point of the beginning of it. That's why we need we need people in the conversations to say, but just because we could, should we? Like, is that um, is that a good use? You know, are we good being good stewards of whatever component we're talking about to to do that? And it's uh, you know it's not an always easy discussion, but it is um, it is part of our life for sure. No, and that's again not to be too political about it, but even if we all believed hypothetically, if we thought it was healthy for people to spend no more than one hour of on social media per day. Mm -hmm. Just bear with me. Yeah, I would never think it's the right idea for a government or external entity to legislate that. I right. could say that I think it's a good idea, but so to your point, for, for things, for cultures to limit themselves with regards to their consumption of certain things is, is all 300 million people in our culture have to make that individual decision for themselves. I don't think it should be a limited, a governmentally limited thing. Right. And so in that case, you know, in order for some of that demand to change, like culture would have to change. And that's totally off topic. But right. all that to say, I don't see it changing because <laughs> I yeah. don't see 300 million people changing their mind at the same time. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to choose to do less of this thing that is fun and enjoyable, like, like cat right. videos and people, you know, bike fails and whatever it is. Right. The case may be guys rebuilding yeah. McLarens, as I've been getting right. into lately. Uh that it's fun and it's interesting. It's hard to it's hard to put that aside. Uh, yeah. And there's other like we point to social media a lot, but there's right. massive like the biggest probably use cases and demand drivers in our space are. Pro I mean, social media is a big one, but there's right. other non-social media, very important business functions and financial yeah. and oil wells and drilling that will continue to take up more and more data center space that, you know, that aren't things that people are doing watching 4k videos it's it's right. different as well so all that to say 
we still think the demand is extremely. I mean, your own you know parent company, Blackstone, said this is a once in a, a generation opportunity, and they're making significant investments in it. And uh, uh, so, you know, they're pretty sharp guys. Y'all are sharp guys. Uh, I think we're all kind of looking at this and going, man, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. It, I, well, it's not to not to be melodramatic, but a few people got the railroad was going to change everything. And there's a high barrier to entry. Or when we built central stations and we moved uh, power at the time from a, an artisan, every factory has to have its own plant to uh, centralized uh, power. Th- there are inflection points over, you know, when Rome built aqueducts, there are inflection points over time that when you see them, um, it's such a changing it, because they're core to the economic um, the economic health of people. Anything that's core to the economic health of whether it's transportation or it's um, healthcare or whatever, something that helps human beings in their life, in the complexity of their life, and in this in some way that they believe. And I know we've got plenty of instances where. Uh, you know, things were exploited, um, not to, uh, not in the best case of them. But, but whenever these things get evolved, um, it is a, there is an opportunity to be part of it for that, for that initial wave. And um, you should take advantage of it because that opportunity doesn't come along very often. And, and to identify those things. I mean, there's so many things that we, we think are going to be the thing. And they're, you know, they're not, but this is one of them. And it's, it's difficult to see, uh, maybe looking back in history, we'll see, okay, well, we should have pivoted differently or, you know, there's another thing. But the infrastructure that we're talking about so feeds everything. It feeds space exploration. It feeds healthcare. It feeds um, uh, emergency response. Like it just, it, it just serves so many things in so many ways and at the heart mm-hmm. of that, it's very similar to roads, right? At the heart of, you know, you need roads, you need the ability to move goods and services so I can get the vaccine to somewhere so that I can, and they can be taken advantage of, you know, we do things on roads sometimes, we used to uh, do other stuff and I don't wanna go down there, but just, but anyway, I just think that when you're part of it, the base level, the infrastructure that leads to all of these other potentials that right now it is, um, it's a momentous time in human history, and I don't want to say it's it's bigger than anything else, but it is one of those significant things, and we're right in the middle of it for sure. It's it's a lot like coming back after World War II, and we have the manufacturing prowess of the whole world is essentially in the United States, and then the the naval infrastructure to distribute that stuff, good or bad. These are these historic things that were. Uh, uh, I think that we're part of, and and so to be part of it is uh, is a fantastic, great. I, I'd love. I'd rather be part of it than not. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and the the term infrastructure is is totally appropriate because it is like a road or a sewer system or a power grid in that it is maybe not required for our physical survival. But certainly required for our, our daily operation in the 21st century, um, right? And so that that term infrastructure is totally appropriate. And in addition, it represents the you know the critical nature of it in that you can't replace it easily. Um, and even if you were, even if a technology were developed tomorrow that could replace data centers, 
the transition would be multiple decades, um, right. e even if that were possible. So again, all those things to continue to underscore what you said, not to make this too rah-rah, but trying to be realistic about this to go, it is a big deal. It's very important. Um, and, and there are new uses, new technologies that mm -hmm. as we feel like generally benefit or create more demand for the space, um, whether yeah. making us do our job better or uh, creating a demand for us to do our job more. Uh, right. And so all of those things make it very exciting. It, despite all that, you, you can you still hear from a number of people, folks like yourself who have been in the industry a while, people have been in kind of five to 10 years ago. It's a very young industry. And I think yeah. even with all the development you've seen and advancement technologically, process-wise, industry-wise, like how people are talking to each other, how leases are getting done and signed, as much maturation has happened there, there's probably a lot more to go. You know, one of the and you know on the financial side, one of the panels I watched this past week was talking about you know one of the biggest differentiators for kind of smaller or even mid-sized data companies, data center companies today is how well they've structured their debt and equity to make them to enable them to be flexible when there's interest rate changes like there are today in our current environment. Right. Um, and there's there's where he he said we're in the mid middle of about a twenty year trend. Uh, and I can't remember exactly the start and end points, but from kind of a private equity focus around data centers to more of like a real estate infrastructure fund type view of them. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering right. that. The point being, even the financial operations are going to change and mature around data centers because you talk to some people, it's a real estate transaction. Some people, it's an IT transaction. Some people, it's a, an infrastructure transaction with all the associated risks and returns. So right. those things are kind of working themselves out. <laughs> yeah. How do you guys to continue to evolve with the market, not just where the things are being built, but the value that you bring, the conversations mm -hmm. that you have, how how often do you, I don't want any super secret sauce, but is that a monthly, quarterly, semi-annually? How do you sort of refresh? I know you guys, you and David have done pretty much every year, like a predictions for this year. Mm -hmm. um, how do you guys evaluate how you navigate and pivot um, to, to really stay as current as anybody can stay uh, current with your uh, clientele. Yeah, so there's almost, in my mind, there's like two schools of thought, right? So there's the one, uh, and we try and employ both to some extent. <clears throat> Most people have read the Steve Jobs autobiography or at least heard the quote of like, we don't do focus groups. We tell people what they want. And he was obviously <laughs> wildly successful in doing that. Like, right? Didn't do focus groups for the iPod the iPhone, the uh, iPad. I remember when he brought the iPad out, I was like, that's a stupid name. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know why anyone wants this honking phone. Of course, now everybody has an iPad. Right. So there's one school. So the other school saw so is like, let's talk to every single one of our customers every month and have them tell us exactly what they need. There is a ton of value. You're going to, now you're going to whip your customers butts when you right. do that. Um, so we try to find a balance between going, let's, you know, I would say to, the short answer to the question is probably no less frequently than quarterly. Um, we try and sit down, do a really deep dive and go, do all the products we have make sense? Do all the data sets we have make sense? Is there anything we're being asked for um, on a recurring basis? What are we hearing? So on the sales team, we're, we're constantly funneling any conversation we have. If we're, you know, our kind of radar is up for like just the slightest disappointment or, or explicit commentary of like, well, it'd be great if you had that. That's the best thing we can hear. Even if we right. don't have it, it's the best thing we can hear for someone to explicitly right. say it. Uh, 
or you know, from y'all's standpoint, I wish you were in that market. <laughs> right. Uh, that's the best kind of feedback we can get. But a lot of times it's kind of vague of like, hey, someone, we demoed somebody, we put them through the sales cycle, they didn't become our customer and they never told us why not. Right. So are you back like re recreating these conversations in your head going, oh, if we did this or that. And not every idea is a good one. Uh, you know, we may hear from five customers like, hey, we really wish you had, uh, you know, the make and model of every HVAC unit on every data center you looked at. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, so so we think there's a market for that data. We think it would take five people six months to get that data. So we go, nah, not going to work. So there's, right. you know, you're trying to analyze the supply and demand. Is <laughs> It's not secret. It's not a secret sauce, but it's something we try and do regularly. We just launched a new version of our website, not to make this a data center or a commercial, mm -hmm. but we've this is kind of like version 3.0. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, you mentioned like kind of the, the phases of QTS over the years. Yeah. Uh, when I joined the company, we had just gone live with what we'd call like data center rock 2.0. Uh, and this is really 3.0. It's like, it's, it's a new look and feel. We've added some new data sets and some new tools again, totally based on what people were telling us. Again, we're just trying to make the site as easy to use as you would. My whole goal, again, I'm not the dev guy. I'm not the product guy, but I go, if I'm going to look at a map on a website, I wanted to do what Google does. I want to be able to zoom in, zoom out. I want to be able right. to draw a line, you know, measure the distance. Like, there's just some little things that I think are like table stakes for a mapping tool <laughs> that right. we're trying to hit and make right. it as simple as possible. So it's not it's not uh, rocket science. It's just going. Let's just make it as easy to use. So right. that's the approach we take. <laughs> when you were talking about the map, it reminds me of when I go look for something. Let's just use the real estate analogy. I love the tool today. I thought the tool five years ago was great, but I love the tool today to your point earlier that I can look at the schools that serve the property that I'm looking at. I can look at the mm -hmm. county that it's in. I can look at the public information on who owned it last, at least, at least what it's sold for according to the public record. Like all this metadata, I may not want to get into it. My wife could care less. She wants to see the pictures and see what the size is or the whatever. I go to the maps and I look at, well, what's that intersection like? And I'll go along the 3D map and see how, you know, how easy it is. It What are the neighbors? Are they taking care of their property? All this other metadata is super in, uh, interesting to me. So we're going to the same tool, looking at the same property, but we're extracting different pieces of information mm -hmm. for it. And what I loved about Jobs, this is my connection to Jobs, wasn't just the chaos, but he made it so easy. There were so many tools um, that were so much more powerful, that had so many more options. But unless you were a nerd really invested in learning the tool, you couldn't get it. You, you couldn't get the value out of it. And so people just didn't adopt mm -hmm. it. Whereas other people could, could get maximum value out of it if they really wanted to. But for everybody else, it was so approachable that to them it became very valuable. And I, I think that's the secret to a lot of technology. I don't, for most people, they, they don't wanna know how the underneath works. They just want it easy. I just wanna ask it, hey, mm -hmm. personal assistant, do this. Hey, Jarvis, do this for me. And it does it. So for you guys to be able to adopt a tool that allows people in our industry where it's just easy, it's sort of ubiquitous. Hey, let have you checked the, this thing and go over there and check it and have it feed into the narrative um, either supporting what we're imagining or contradicting it. So we have to dive further. That will be a secret for success uh, for you guys to the degree that you can develop that. Yeah, that's, that's a bit of a North star is, you know, if you think about keeping with the Apple analogy, 
I don't know why this was such a big deal, but when that iPhone first came out and you could bring up a list of voicemails you had received and you could just you click on one, you click on the next one, you click on the next one, you could play it, you could delete it. Right. If you remember before that, as I'm sure you do, you had to call like your own number, right? right. And then it, when you got the voicemail for yourself, you had to, like push four to listen to the message and you listen to the whole thing. And then you had like press six to delete. If you forgot six and you hit five, it replayed the message. Which then, anyways, it was such yeah. a little simple thing, but it, it, it just like made the transaction of getting your voicemails. I mean, most people would just never listen to their voicemails because it was so tedious. Right. So we're looking at our site going, are there things like that? Either, either little things that are much harder than they should be to do. How can we make those easier? Solve that for that time or effort issue. Uh, or small improvements we can make that that add a ton of value. Um, mm -hmm. Software development's tough. Like it, it's tough to, you know, there's a, a phrase that we throw around in our office a lot. Like, I'm sorry for the long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. Right. Editing is hard. Like, you know, and you've probably seen this with a thousand different software companies that just over-engineer and you have like this bloat of features, not naming any names at all here, uh, but making a, a simplistic design uh, again, that's one of the biggest legacies of Apple is like, it's just simple. It works. Yeah. It's intuitive. You know, Steve Jobs would famously give, I think he went to Africa or something, gave a kid an iPad and he's like, if that kid can figure out how to use it, we've done our job. Uh, yeah. hopefully we have the same thing with our site. It's intuitive. It's, you know, that's just the goal of any good website is you go, people log in, they know exactly what to do. They know exactly how to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Cause if you get frustrated, you move on. You know, right. our attention span is so short, unfortunately, that if you can't figure it out in three to five seconds, you're just probably not going to do it. Yeah, it's it, because there's too many other um, apparent opportunities to find something else that's quicker. I just the other day I was trying to use the AI tools in a uh, I've never been great at PowerPoint presentations. I know what I want to say. I've got all the mm -hmm. words, but I'm looking for the icons and I've at least tried six or seven of them. They're, they're the chat GPT versions of creating iconography and images and PowerPoint presentations. And I've been so dissatisfied with them that I've just gone back, as opposed to my experience with, a, for example, a Dolly or a Bard or chat GPT. I really enjoy their ability to help me distill an idea to what I really want to say. I, I give it my original stuff and it helps work with me, just like a PA to... Uh, personal assistant to really distill it down to a succinct idea that I want to say. So I love that tool, but it's just a matter of time before you should be able to say to your app, to your phone, to your whatever, Hey, give me a presentation on this topic. Make sure you include these seven things. I want it. I want the colors to be like this, follow the template or whatever. And um, what I found was that if within three minutes, 10 minutes tops, but probably within three to five minutes, if I didn't have an initial good experience with that too, I was like, that, there's a better one or it's not worth my time. I'm not going to stay here. And I have criticized my kids for not, look, lean in, take some time to figure it out. But I myself have gotten caught up in sort of more the TikTok <laughs> and I don't have TikTok installed. It's not my, I don't, I don't find myself susceptible there, but I do think it's human nature is that, uh, you know, our brains are wired for variety, variety and availability. And, and if I if you can't capture my imagination quick, I believe there's another thing that will capture it that's going to help me solve it. I'm just going to waste my time. Move on. It's like Shark Tank. You got 90 seconds. Tell your thing. Not interested. Move yeah, on. I'm going to pass. Well, the good news is pretty soon you'll just be able to put a little HDMI cable into your neck and it will. <laughs> you only have to say it. It'll download your thoughts. Yeah. It'll make your perfect presentation.
Yeah. Well, I my, joke, but I do believe, I believe that technology is being developed as we speak. Yeah. Well, that'll be version one. participate in that one. Yeah. yeah. That'll be version one. Version three will be, it's just wireless. You know, you wouldn't even have to leave. You'll just think it and it'll be up on the stage and all that, all that horrible, awesome, uh, inevitability. Mike, we, uh, we talked a lot. That was a, that was a wide range for a real estate guy. That's only been in our business five years. Uh, that was a great conversation. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah, man. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. If people want to learn more about Data Center Hawk, what you guys are up to, uh, you and David's uh, camp skills, um, where can they go yes. to find uh, where can they go to find out more? If you want to find out what is the most recent seltzer water that we're enjoying or what CrossFit <laughs> workouts we've done lately, <laughs> we do have a podcast as well. It's just oh, yeah, it's on YouTube. Just search Data Center Hawk. Uh, okay. And then all the information on our platform is datacenterhawk.com. Perfect. Hey, if you've enjoyed the conversation, like it. And if you loved it, subscribe. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Cheers.